Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game, Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. You were just telling me off microphone about uh, you had this. this Wait, Brian, don't talk about that. This Brian Dozier column oh. that you were all excited, and then you forgot to write it. Oh, now that. you're kicking yourself. Yeah, we can talk about that. He he might actually wind up with 40 home runs, yeah. and this is a couple <laughs> weeks ago, and now he's going to wind up with 70. Yeah. Um, you also quickly forget the column he wrote three months ago, which yes. said the Twins should send Brian Dozier to the minor yeah. leagues. Wow. Now he would have a lot more than 39, 38 home runs if he had played part of the season. In uh, Rochester. That's true. You might have had 20 home runs in Rochester. You're right, cumulatively. And actually, I'll correct you on that. I was not quick to forget it. I was quick to remind people. Look at the dumbass who wrote in late May that Brian Dozier was getting benched for a couple of days. And, hey, if this doesn't, if he doesn't snap out of this, it's not crazy to talk about sending him down. Has he made eye contact with you since you posted that column? I or does don't... he actually, maybe he's the opposite. Every time he sees you, he just stops and stares you down until you look away. And then he thumps his chest. <laughs> LeBron hitting a three. Uh, no, we put it this way. I'm going to guess that James Brian Dozier is not a frequent reader of the Five Thoughts columns or 1500ESPN.com. He's, I'll give Dozier credit for this. One of the more confident guys I've ever been around. And now I've only covered professional sports for six years or whatever so don't make it like out to be this big huge thing but Dozier has a strong sense of self and he's he's a very confident person that if I suggested he should go to the minor leagues and he knew about that I think his response wouldn't be I hate you I think his response would be well you're wrong like I'm gonna turn it around and that's that's it with you know, Dozier so I don't I can't answer your question. you know he's uh I've been thinking about this you know because the twins are in last place and they're gonna finish with the worst record probably in the American League I think the Angels are the next worst record in the American League the twins are still like 14 games back of fourth place in their yeah. division maybe non, even more a non-zero chance they wind up with fewer wins than any other yeah. AL club so you can put up offensive players and even pitchers but but you know, as far as position players can put up these Herculean individual numbers, and it and it's almost like it doesn't matter from a team perspective. Remember when A Rod twelve years ago was hitting fifty bombs yeah. and putting up triple crown like numbers for a bad Rangers team that was yeah. finishing in last place? Any other sport, if you have a quarterback who puts up a Herculean performance, right, four thousand five hundred five thousand yards. That team isn't in contention to draft number one overall. Right. Drew Brees last year threw for 5,000 yards, and that team wasn't great. They had a terrible defense, but they still went 7-9 and nine because sure. Drew Brees put up this Herculean individual performance. Um, if a basketball player puts up 25-12 and three or four assists and a bunch of blocks, 
They might not make the playoffs. DeMarcus Cousins is, is a great example of that. But they're probably not historically bad. Sure. You know, 100-loss, major league bad. And in baseball, it's just an illustration of of how little influence one player can have, even if that one player is as great as Brian Dozier has been this year. In fact, speaking of the Angels, yeah. Mike Trout has been the best player in baseball this He's year. He's the MVP for me. Wins above replacement off the charts, traditional counting stats off the charts, 320 batting average, 27 home runs, 20-plus stolen bases, 100 ribs, 90, 90 runs scored, and that's with a month to go in the season. But... Mike Trout yeah. isn't enough to drag the Angels right. from last place in the American yeah, League West. Stuck in this weird purgatory, yeah. Yeah. So it's um I don't know what my grand point is other than you can waste Herculean individual yeah. performances in baseball unlike any other team sport. Let me read you something. This may or may not surprise you. It surprised me a little bit when I was looking at it this morning. Um again, when I was kicking myself for not having written clearly two weeks ago. Could Brian Dozier hit 40 home runs? And it sounded like a crazy question at the time, and now it's like, uh, could he hit 60 home runs? Post it and put could he 50 hit 90 home stand runs? By it. Yeah. Um, will he be the new home run king in three weeks? Here is Fangraphs. Now, remember, Fangraphs and Baseball Reference have slightly different ways of calculating their war statistic, but here is Fangraphs' version of war, and I'm just looking at position players for this one. Mike Trout, Chris Bryant, Josh Donaldson, Corey Seager, Jose Altuve, who should also get very strong consideration for MVP, Mookie Betts, again, there's another guy. Mookie Betts is, yeah. that's uh, Manny Machado, Francisco Lindor, Brian Dozier, Robbie Cano. So there's your top ten in Fangraph's war. Man. Brian Dozier yeah. is number nine, which doesn't surprise people necessarily when they're just thinking about the past two months but think about where he was at the end of may a guy that was benched for multiple games in a row who had a come to jesus meeting with then gm terry ryan who had an hour-long heart-to-heart on the phone with tory hunter and who basically had to self-evaluate boy nothing is going right for me since last year's all-star break and that was a very obvious in retrospect turning point for not only Dozier's season I would argue for Dozier's career yeah it's it's very Justin Moore uh Justin Morno 2006 like yeah where he had been up for a few seasons and he had shown you some promise like Brian Dozier had the last couple years and then in the year where everyone expects you to break out you come out of the gate you stumble and you're and you're you're moved down in the batting order in May or whenever it was for both those hitters and it looks like are they gonna have to send this guy this veteran player now down to the minor leagues and then in the second half for the last four months of the season, Justin Morneau became the American League MVP. In part, actually, it's even more similar than I thought because Justin Morneau, if, if, you, if you look at some of the other players in contention for that award uh, and you look at maybe wins above replacement, he wasn't the best player in the American League that right. year. He was, was that the, the Jeter year? Derek Jeter had a great season Jeter in Jeter had a big year. Uh, I believe Dustin Pedroia and or Jacoby Ellsbury. Okay, it's before I was covering baseball, but I was like, tangentially aware yeah there's uh there was like five or six there wasn't a smoking gun Jeter sure. was in the mix for sure okay uh but Justin Morno was the hottest player on a contending team for the last four months and was one of the five or six best players position players in the American League Brian Dozier it's not his fault that this team can't get anybody out as a pitching staff and yeah. that uh they didn't score runs for the first couple months and they started 0-9 I mean it's part partly his fault that they started 0-9 because he was terrible for the first two months of the season, but 
if Brian, this is this is the ultimate flaw in the MVP award. Not that he would win it if they were good, but he he would get more votes if they yeah. were good. Do you, I don't I don't see him getting any probably. He'll get some secondary votes. Like he so. won't get a first place vote, but he'll get if okay. you have to fill out however many on your ballot. Is it ten? I don't know. Um, he'll definitely get some votes. But if this is the flaw in the MVP award, just because he's not on a winning team doesn't mean he's less valuable. Right. If you took him and put him on a fringe contending team right now, he would put that team over the top to like 97 wins or whatever it may be. Sure. Think about if he joined the Royals last year as right. their second baseman. Yes. Replacing uh, Omar Infante, who was easily the weakest link or in Mike, the starting like lineup. Mike Trout is going to be a 10-win war, a ten win player this year. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't mean... Because he's on a bad team doesn't mean that he's less valuable. It means that everyone else around him is more terrible, yeah. right? <laughs> sure. Okay. I mean, he's... He's the same player, and he's winning the individual matchups against the pitchers on a regular basis, and it's not his fault that his left fielder sucks or I, that his starting pitching staff sucks. I just got a T-shirt from the 1500 ESPN State Fair booth, and it's a Hot Take Police T-shirt. I'm familiar, yes. Tell me if I need to go put this on, or, or I don't know how this works. Do they arrest uh, the me? The Hot Take Police force would be roaming around right now, Do and they, they, would, they would pull you over. Read yes. me my Miranda rights. And there are no Miranda rights. Okay. No, they just you get no rights. No, no, no. It's very. It's a dictatorship here. Yes. <laughs> okay. So Mackie and Judd oversee the land, and we have our own Hot Take huh. Police officers pulling people over. Yeah. All right. So put on alert those police as I say this, because look, I don't think this is crazy, but I've had a lot of people, even some friends in the media, and some of my friends on Twitter who follow the Twins very closely and um, you know have their own opinions developed around. The Twins news of this season and previous seasons. I still don't think it's crazy to entertain the idea of trading Brian Dozier this winter. There are a lot of people who just, that's the end of the conversation. Flat out disagree. Toss Wetmore in the loony bin. This is a stupid conversation. And look, how easy is it to spout an opinion on, you know, in our current model of sports media where it's way more about entertainment than actual facts and assessment. I, I get it. I'm going to get accused of all that stuff. But I'm I'm not suggesting the Twins have to trade him. I'm just saying it's not crazy to entertain the idea that they would trade right now their best player who's on a very team-friendly deal, two years, $15 million. Here's why. Since the All-Star break, which doesn't exactly coincide with Dozier being awesome, but Roughly correlates. I mean, I mean, he He's took like off twenty four bombs since the All Star. He break. took off in early June, which I saw a, a stat from ESPN Stats and Info this morning. Apologies if this is already out there, but Dozier's twenty four home runs post break are the most since the Sosa McGuire year. Yeah, that's incredible. What Sosa hit? Was it that year? No, it must have been at one point. Maybe this was like before nineteen ninety eight. Sosa hit twenty home runs in June. Of so one was, of those years. what's weird is that so I. This might answer your question because the stat said since 1999, and I know the home run race was 98, so my thought is, did they mess up that stat, or is it the year after both of those guys went berserk after the game, too? I think Sosa hit, I think it was 1998, because Sosa wasn't really in the home run race until right up next to the All-Star break. McGuire. Yeah, and it was Greg Vaughn at the time. And Sosa hit like 20 bombs in June. And actually, Trevor Plouffe, no one talks about this, four years ago or five years ago, 
Trevor Plouffe hit 18 this. home runs in a one-month stretch. Yeah, he was Babe Ruth. And burst onto the scene. He was all over Sports Center. Every night it was a new home run by Trevor Plouffe. And it was very similar to what we're seeing with Brian Dozier right now. Yeah. And then, you know, that was sort of the anomaly of, uh, of Plouffe's career. He's always been an okay power hitter, but nothing like that. He's yeah. never been... You know, 18 home runs in a in a one month stretch yeah. and carry a team. Let me finish making my point, and then you can make fun of me if no. you need to. <laughs> you can you can criticize this all you want. Uh, first, I'll jump in and say if you're a listener of the Touch 'Em All podcast and you're looking for a great read on the summer of '98 race, I think it's Gary Smith. Gary Smith's um, basically just. His his summer long column on the race of ninety eight is fantastic. It's definitely worth. Uh, it takes a long time to read. It's but the it's, summer that put my even though it was artificially enhanced, it put yeah. my love for baseball over the Same top, here. and it Same became here. by far my favorite. I mean, sport. I, I was young at the time, but I thought I remember how cool it was that Sammy Sosa would just know he had a pitcher yep. and then hop out of the batter's. I was like, all right, this is a pretty cool sport. And then of course the cork started flying out of yeah. his bats <laughs> and the needles out of his lockers. But other other than that, it was magical. Yes. Yeah, I wasn't so jaded and cynical at the time. Um, here's the. F- the finishing point of my Dozier thought, and and again, I'm not saying trade him. I'm not saying you need to new GM or new president, but I'm saying consider it. I'm saying it should be an option. You shouldn't, when you're about to lose 100 games, you shouldn't put anything off of the table. Everything should be open for discussion. Since the All-Star break, the Twins have scored the third most runs in baseball. Only the Colorado Rockies and the Boston Red Sox have scored more than the Twins' 247 runs. Underscoring my point that offense is not the problem. Pitching is the problem. And if you can trade Brian Dozier for a young, cost-controlled, effective pitcher, that's going to help put your team over more than Dozier would, in my opinion, because what you could replace Dozier with is better than your crappy replacement-level pitching staff. Right so I, uh, I agree with the premise. If First of all, if I'm the new GM or the new president of baseball operations, almost nobody is off limits. And there's a, there's a small handful of young players that you're just you're not going to trade Byron Buxton right now because you're not going to get equal unless somebody wants to to trade you Mike Trout for, for what Byron you Buxton. think he's going to be. Yeah, I'd I mean, take that. But because you might be trading Mike Trout if you trade Byron Buxton, Maybe. but but almost almost nobody's off limits sure. on this 40 man roster and up and down the organization. But if you flip it around. If uh, and I'm with you. If you do float Brian Dozier this offseason, it has to be for someone who can anchor your rotation. Yeah. You don't go get he's a anchoring your lineup. Yeah, so it's got to be someone who can anchor your rotation and give you 200 innings and be in their mid 20s and under team control and be a guy that you would put out there as your number one starter in a playoff series and feel confident about that guy. That's where the conversation starts. If you flip that around and you look around the league uh, at the Garrett Coles or pick the guys in their mid 20s. Yeah. I know that uh, we had Dan Gladden on our radio show today, and Judd asked him this exact question. He goes, well, I'd call Miami, and I'd ask for Jose Fernandez yeah. and see That's where the, the conversation goes. That's the name I was just going to yeah. ask you about. I mean, yeah. Jose Fernandez, I don't know how many years of team control he has left. Let's say two or three, and uh, he's in his mid-20s. But if you're the Marlins, why would you ever trade one of the best starting pitchers in baseball? Let's say one of the 30 best starting pitchers in baseball, if you're looking to get a, an ace-caliber pitcher, right? Not just Jose Fernandez, but anyone for a powerful second baseman. When you know that the Twins have the opposite thing right now, they've got an offense. You, the problem is you can't outscore bad pitching. Yeah, but you can outpitch a bad offense yeah. in a lot of ways. In fact, the San Francisco Giants—they won a World Series. Uh, this would have been t- uh, two years ago, I think. What are we on the the even years? When did they win World <laughs> yeah, Series? Yeah. They win them every other year. Uh, yeah. It was um, it was one of their three World Series wins the last few years. It was yeah. it was either two years ago or four. 
and they had the fewest home runs offensively of any team in baseball. But their starting rotation was Madison Bumgarner, and it was uh, whoever the hell else was. Matt Cain was lights out at the Didn't time. They, win? they won one without Cain. I think, I think but... Lincecum got bounced from the rotation, but they had this ridiculous starting sure. rotation. Yeah. So if I could choose one or the other, Brian Dozier or lights out starting pitcher, 10 times out of 10, I'm choosing lights out starting pitcher, but so are the teams you're going to call. So would you be willing to throw in something else with Dozier yes. to get that starting pitcher? That's what you'd have to decide. Yes, I would. And but I don't know. I'd have to see. I'd have that's to see what's the, behind door number one. Correct. Or two. That's where I'm the conversation is. I'm not looking to is. trade Dozier unless I unless the conversation comes back with. Fair enough. Sure, we'd give you a top. Fair enough. Starting pitcher. So you're saying you're the Philadelphia Eagles. You've got seven quarterbacks, and your team's not going to win. And you've got your franchise QB and Carson Wentz sitting. All right, I'm not looking to trade Sam Bradford, but if somebody calls me with a first yeah. round pick, I'll pick up the phone. Yeah. Of course I will. It's very situational. Uh, yeah. who, like, who's this kid for uh, St. Louis just called up? St. Louis does this all the time. Michael yeah. Waka, Adam yeah. Wainwright starts off in the bullpen. Carlos uh, Martinez. Luke Weaver. Yep. I don't think he's related to Jared, or maybe he is. I don't know. I don't think he is, though. I don't know if he's the third Weaver brother. He looks kind of, he's got the blonde sort of hair. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. So, uh, Weaver, if you are related, just ping us on Twitter. Send sure. us a note. Like, that guy is going to be a stud, and he's already pitching well in his first five major league starts. He's under team control for six years. I would probably trade Brian Dozier for that guy and something else. If I could get some assurance, okay, in case he doesn't pan out, uh, give me something else. But I'm much less likely to trade Dozier today than I was maybe two months ago because I think he's reached a whole new plateau as a hitter. Even if he goes blank for two months next year, I'll take the four months of production he's giving okay. My roster. Fair enough. So, I want to turn the conversation a little bit, but first, before we do that, I do want to say, if you are a loyal listener of the Touch Em All podcast, subscribe on iTunes or on Podcast One. Wherever you find us, wherever you get your podcasts, some people just like to download each episode, and that's great, that's fine, that works too, but it helps us spread our word, get to more people, the more people we have subscribing. So, give us a rating if it's on iTunes, subscribe wherever you're listening, that way, you don't have to go hunting for the episodes. They'll just pop into your phone like, that's how I listen to podcasts. Oh. Turning the conversation to the Twins and their search for a new leader of the Baseball Operations Department. Hey guys, it's Phil Mackey from 1500 ESPN and one of the hosts of Sports Over Beers, the original 1500ESPN.com podcast where you find your favorite 1500 ESPN personalities drinking beer and talking sports. Pretty simple. Find it on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com. Report surfaced Tuesday morning. Alex Anthopoulos very much in the mix. I want to know your thoughts on him because I know you guys talked about this on the radio show, but I think specific to this Touch Them All podcast audience, Anthopoulos really intrigues me. Like, Charrington intrigues me. Anthopolis really intrigues me. I want to know your thoughts so on that. So uh, on Charrington real quick, because Charrington's name's been out there. He's an obvious logical candidate. He put out a bunch of fires in Boston, was probably micromanaged from above more than he would be. If Jim Polat hires him, I don't think anyone's going to be above him. I mean, Jim just wants to hire someone so that he can sort of sit back and uh, and watch the organization. But uh, there are some, some rumors floating around behind the scenes that Charrington was very much burnt out after his Red Sox stint that instead of three or four years, it felt like 30 years, just based on the ups and downs. It's like being president of the United States. A little bit. You look at the aging <laughs> four years right. later, 
and it looks like they've aged 15 years every right. time. So it'll be interesting to see if he's ready to come back into uh, Major League Baseball. I, I would, uh, if I was choosing between Charrington and Anthopoulos, I would choose Ben Charrington. But I don't know if that's the choice. On Anthopoulos, it was John Morosi from Fox Sports yep. who, uh, who made the connection via his report. The exact opposite, the antithesis of Terry Ryan, right? I mean, Terry was very much loyalty and promote from within and hang on to your prospects and develop. And even if you have a chance to maybe take a team that's pretty good and contending for a division and put them over the top by trading two or three top prospects for a Cliff Lee or an Alfonso Soriano, uh, the, the Twins haven't really done that in 15 years. Alex Anthopoulos, in five years with Toronto, and he's only 39 years old, by the way. He's, he was in his mid-30s when they hired him and when they promoted him to uh, GM. He took over for uh, J.P. Riccardi, right? That is correct. He yeah. was the assistant GM for J.P. Riccardi. Sure. He has shown the absolute propensity to wheel and deal, to sign big-name free agents, mm-hmm. to trade in the offseason with similar payroll constraints. You know, most people think back to the Blue Jays offseason a couple of years ago. It was like four years ago when they went out, they grabbed Jose Reyes, Mark Burley, Josh Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, they eventually traded for Josh Donaldson. I think that was the year after they made the big splash. But all the while, his payrolls for five years were between 75 and $130 million. I mean, they definitely boosted it up from, from like $75, 80000000 million up into the 100s. But I think anyone who would come in here and take over the reins would be operating under similar payroll constraints. 115 to 125, 130 million sort of at the top end. And he put together one of the best offensive collections, one through nine, um, that we've seen at least in our lifetimes. They scored almost 900 runs as a unit last year. And they've got a couple really good young pitchers that he's presumably overseen the development of too. So I don't think Anthopoulos is flawless, but he would be a really interesting deviation from what we're used to here the last 15 years with uh, the Terry Ryan front offices. Two reasons I would... Uh, what's the word? Endorse? No one's, no one's looking for my endorsement, but here it is. <laughs> Two reasons why I would endorse the hiring as probably as a president, I would guess, and then he can go in and hire a GM if he chooses. Uh, um, what that means for Rob Antony and his staffers, I don't know. I think that bridge has to be crossed after this hire is made. And I like Rob. I don't think that there's I'm the non-zero guy. I think there's a 0% chance you hire him as your president and let him figure things out. That's just such an aggressive promotion from assistant GM for years and years and years to be the president. I don't think that's... You can't sell that to the public either. Correct. I mean, your season tickets are in trouble right now. I mean, they are at an all-time low since moving into the ballpark, and you can't sell any form of status quo. I think, I will say this, I think Rob has done a good job since taking over. I don't point to things and say... Here's an example of why Rob can't be the GM. Maybe he can. He's made a couple good trades, but I can't I can't sit here and say that th- three months by right. the end of the year is a sample size to gauge I think, him. I think he ran the trade deadline well, and I think the Twins, as, as sort of patient as they've been in the past, they've at least done the right things with their rosters lately. They're not, they're not playing shorthanded by their own choice. They're not, oh, we don't want to get a look at this kid because, yeah. well, what will it do to his psyche? They're, they're making, I think anyways— they're handling the roster, a, a train wreck of a roster, in the best way they can. I don't see blatant, glaring examples where I'm like, what are you doing, twins? And that's been the case a couple times each year for the past three years. I've said, like, what? Why, why are you doing it like this? Common sense dictates otherwise. But even so, what you said, I don't think that's enough of a sample. Here's why I would endorse it. One is social proof. 
something we talk about fairly often, but the fact that not only the Blue Jays promoted him to be their GM, I know it didn't end well in Toronto, fine, but now he's the executive that's vice not, president. That's not necessarily true. The Shapiro... So he didn't get fired in Toronto. They actually offered him a five-year extension. Correct. And and uh, Shapiro comes in as the new overlord of the front office. And, right. and, and as far as I've sort of read, and I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm plugged into to what happened there, but sure. it sounds like Shapiro didn't like... How often the Blue Jays were willing to give up prospects? They yep. were just a little bit. They just wanted a little bit, little bit more buttoned up in that regard. Yeah. And Anthopoulos said, "I'm going to go work for the Dodgers." Right. Thanks, but no thanks. Conflicting philosophies. Alex Anthopoulos's last painting on that canvas as the front office overseer was a '93, '94 win team that went to the American League Championship Series and hit the crap out of the ball one through nine. Yeah. Yeah. So nothing. No, it wasn't like. This thing blew up, and oh, if I could learn yeah. from my mistakes, it was he left at the peak of Toronto Blue Jays baseball, and this team's in first place as we speak yep. right now, yep. that he was essentially the architect. Right. Of. I'm not trying to say that he did a bad job in Toronto. All I'm saying is that the social proof is there, that he was given the reins in Toronto, and then, after being offered the contract, went to go work as an executive vice president of the Dodgers, one of, in my opinion, the smartest front offices in baseball right yeah. now. Those two things are very good things to have at the top of your resume that puts you in the top 0.1% of candidates internationally and intergalactically, right? I'm not sure how many people you're going to find in the galaxy, maybe more qualified than that. The other thing... Yeah, I hear they're doing some great things over uh, on Pluto right now. Yeah. It's a long drive, but... uh... The yeah. commute sucks, and they are working to get very their, innovative. their planetary status back. That's still up in the air. Yeah. Um, the first thing is the social proof, the jobs that he's had, the resume, which you'd look for in any hiring. The second is his willingness to go for it. I think that's – I don't want to say recklessness is an important trait, but I think uh, this risk aversion or loss aversion that scares so many other executives in every sport is kind of – Hampering. Not only is it less fun for for the media covering the team and the fans, but I do think it hurts your team. There's a there's a real cost to not being willing to go for it. Like there's a cost to the Twins last year not being willing to call up Barreos and see if he could push them over the hump. Um, that's maybe you could argue that it's the good long term play, and I would argue that, and I did, and I contend, I continue yeah. to contend that. But there's a cost to not being willing to try it. If you're the twins, there's a cost to not being willing to send Daniel Norris to the Tigers for David Price for a stretch run. There's a cost if you're the Brewers eight, nine, ten years ago to not being willing to send Matt Laporta to the Indians for CC Sabathia to put Ben Sheets and CC Sabathia at the top of a rotation and just roll the dice in October. Yes, there's a long-term cost of making those moves, and you could wind up hurting your franchise. But I think that this sort of this patience and this, well, our prospects are better than other prospects, so we have to hold on to these. I think that's really hurt some organizations in the last five, ten years to the point where I wonder if this prospects bubble, I'll call it that, if you're talking about baseball commodities as a market, baseball prospects, young cost-controlled players, I think there's a bit of a bubble that those players are being overvalued and overprotected. When I read this piece, it was who? Which trade was it? It was maybe the maybe it was the Granky trade when he went uh, the the Kansas City Milwaukee trade. Lots of prospects changing hands, and I, I don't even know if I have this right. But anyways, one of my favorite columnists, Jeff Passan at Yahoo, basically wrote 
okay, all the stats heads and the um, prospect wonks, and those were very much the circles that I was hanging out in. I was reading those people every single day. What do the the, the stat wonk circles look like? Do you guys just hang out on stoops downtown? Or it, there are a lot of shadows involved. Snapping together? Yes. Yeah. Fangraphs was my homepage, and like I was just in... Babbitt. Exactly. Babbitt. I was very much one of those, um, and, and I'm not criticizing that group. I'm, I'm painting myself in that group. And it was, man, you know, whatever the starting pitcher was, was how can you give up that much in prospects? The future value of these players is off the charts compared to what you're getting back for two years of this ace caliber pitcher. And Passon basically wrote, I hear you. They're probably giving up a lot. This is a high price to pay. The 17 executives that I talked to, including nine GMs or whatever, however those guys report these columns out, Buster Olney's great at doing this. I, I hear you. Future value, I get it. But you can't really put a value on having an ace. Um, it's similar to the Sam Bradford conversation well, we're having right now. Actually, it parallels the Sam Bradford that exactly. thing, yes, the Sam Bradford the Sam Bradford conversation is a great illustration of each trade has to be viewed outside of the vacuum that you normally would view it in, right? Is a first-round pick and an, a conditional fourth-round pick a lot to give up for a guy who's been a below-league-average quarterback and, and mostly a bust since coming in as the number one overall pick? In a vacuum, yes. But then when you start to consider other factors, like, and this is you'll see how this applies to baseball too, football teams have smaller windows because careers are shorter, right? And And patience runs thin, so coaches get fired quicker. So... If your window for winning a championship opens up, it might only be open for like two, three, or four years. Sure. And so once you're in that window, the, the entire point of accumulating draft picks and developing players in any sport is to lead you to a championship or to back up a step to a championship window. Once you get to that championship window, if you can add a percentage point or five percentage points to your chances to win that championship by mortgaging some of your future, right? You always like to talk about taking eggs out of future baskets yeah. to put in this one right. in order to potentially give yourself a better chance to win a championship right now, yeah. um, then it makes sense. You know who this is? Sam Bradford, to a, to a, to a much, 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 much lesser extent, is Aroldis Chapman. No, yes. The Cubs have said, we have a championship-caliber club, and adding Aroldis Chapman makes us better. Yes, we're paying a high price in prospects, and Theo Epstein has not walked away from that. And we they, are paying and a they lot. They win over there too. The Yankees win. Yep. The Yankees win for what they're looking for right Big now. Time. Their window is not open. Yep, but their window will be open when the players we gave them blossom into major league. The Yankees' right? window was starting to shut, and so they slammed it shut this year. They said no more eggs in this basket. <laughs> right, all of the eggs that we can move to future baskets will help us down the road. Both teams, I think. We'll see how it plays out with the Cubs. But both teams had sound thinking about that. So here's what I'm drawing the parallel to, is that if Theo Epstein and co., Jed Hoyer and the Cubs brass, they're willing to make a trade like that that is viewed in the industry as very aggressive and a future gamble for present payoff, then that's the model. Epstein's quote at the time is brilliant, and it's beautiful, and it's in lockstep with the way I think about, you know, constructing contending baseball teams. World Series opportunities are precious, 
and they should be treated as such. Epstein said that. Some, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, CC Washington Nationals from right. three years ago. Right, yes. Exactly. Shutting down Steven Strasburg. Yep. Oh, we'll get there again. Yeah. Oh, all right, well. <laughs> yeah. Blind copy yeah. Minnesota Twins, who've never been in that position, really. Yeah. The, the thing that I like, so the first one on Anthopolis is that he's got the social proof. He's held these jobs. He's currently working in a very smart front office. He's deemed industry-wide as a smart albeit risky guy. The second reason I'd like that hire is because he's a risky guy. He's willing to take those shots. I don't view him as a reckless gambler. I view him as somebody who's willing to take calculated shots. And if I have one big criticism of Terry Ryan, it would be that. Yeah. Terry Ryan. And then the other, you know, the others who worked the Bill Smith era was there for four or five years. And then everyone who else, uh, else who worked in the in the front office in the scouting department. I think if you look back at the 15 years when the Twins became good in 2001 and uh, and they were really good winning divisions for a decade and they popped up once in 2015 and they were contenders mostly because of the new playoff format uh, adding a fifth wildcard team, right? You have to look back at those 15 years with a little bit of regret, right? That you never, that you always overvalued your prospects just a little bit too much. And I get that you were as a mid to small market team you were doing the smart thing by protecting against you, – you're protecting against a, a drought right. that wound up happening anyways, <laughs> yeah, by the way. Yeah, exactly. That's the irony of the, uh, of the protecting. Like if yeah. you if, – if not trading top prospects in 2004 or 6 or 2010 was playing defense against a drought where, well, right. if we empty the cupboards, then we're going to start losing for a few years. Well, that happened anyways. Yeah. So it's even, it's even more inspiration to go out and, and roll the dice and maybe mortgage some of your future – if you're ready to win a World Series right now. Yeah. So Well, I think, yeah, if you're looking back from 1994 to 2014, let's just take that as an arbitrary 20-year chunk. The biggest regret I have if I'm running the Twins is, man, 2006 should have turned out better for us. Johan Santana, Francisco Liriano, Brad Radke, that team should have done more than it did. And whatever. Injuries happen. That's sports. That's the universe. Stuff happens. The second biggest regret is what you're saying. I'm I'm knowing full well that this window will close eventually. And the Twins' philosophy, which I agreed with for a very long time, was get there. Get to October as consistently as you possibly can. Always be there, and eventually you're going to roll the dice with a pretty good team, and you might wind up messing around and winning the thing. Now I think my philosophy shifted a little bit. Get there as often as you can, but if you're not going to get there, strip it down. Make sure you give yourself a better chance the year after that and the year after that and the year after that. And then when you are there, load up. And if you if you need to, to borrow this metaphor, if you need to take eggs from future baskets to make it happen, like if the Twins were a 95-win team last year and didn't call up Boreos, but he could have helped them, I would argue that that would have been stupid. They probably should have leveraged that prospect a little bit better. Uh, but if they're, like this year, if they're going to lose 100 games, they're their thinking should not be geared around 2016. It should be 2017, 2018, 2019. Um, Anthopolis, to me, just following his career from a distance, he seems to get that. He seems to understand the ebbs and flows of competitiveness and when you really need to double down on your hand. Um, agreed. I think I wish I wish we could be disagree more on some of these things, but uh, we'll, maybe we can manufacture some arguments for future episodes. I do want to touch on this for the last couple minutes before we uh, say peace out for the week. Byron Buxton... The light bulb went on big time over the weekend. Now, does the light bulb stay on? It remains to be seen. We'll get to watch him throughout September. But he hits a bunch of home runs, a bunch of doubles. 
Looks very comfortable at the plate. Aggressive early in yeah. counts. Yeah. Looked, just didn't look like the deer in the headlights without a plan at the plate that he looked like for the majority of the season before this. Here's what's at stake for the Twins in September. If the light bulb isn't just flickering for Buxton, but the light bulb is on for him, we're looking at the blossoming of what might be seven to ten extra wins above replacement for next, starting with next year's team. If you're playing that kind of center field defense, and all of a sudden now you're getting on base and you're driving the ball and, and you're a force in the lineup and you're hitting for power, we're looking at the best players in baseball who also play premium positions and play well at those premium positions are six, seven, eight, nine, ten wins above replacement players. That's the type of talent that Byron Buxton is. So when I'm watching him in September here, I'm watching him with the mindset of, wow, if this is something that he's finally taken his lumps, he's learned his lessons, and you can you can see the success translating into 2017, take whatever you whatever you have the Twins at right now, whatever their uh, true talent level as a team is for, for wins and losses, add eight to it because yeah. he'd be replacing a Robbie Grossman, Danny Santana type in the lineup. I think it's about, I've argued this on your radio show and in the past, but I think it's about a 75-win talent team. Now, the pitching sucks, and there have been injuries. But you fix everything that's like the easy, low-hanging fruit fixes, and you're talking at least a 75-win team. Add a 7-win Buxton to that, and you're already talking about basically what you know what you did last year. Yeah. You're talking 83 wins, and... Man, that's before we start talking about the Miguel Sano maturation process, before you start talking about fixing this god-awful starting staff that needs to change. Like, it needs to be an overhaul. Whoever is in charge of that, that's mission one. Um, but, you know, I'm not trying to be overly optimistic Twins guy here because I ripped them probably more than just about anybody. Um, but this team, and if you've been following it lately and hadn't checked out, this team's a lot better than the numbers will say. They've just played really crappy. They've had horrible starting pitching, and these are fixable things. Their young players also, by and large, save for Max Kepler, haven't really performed to the level that you would have liked to see. Even Miguel Sano, as great as he's been for the first two years of his career, you see more. There's more there. I, I think that uh, he can tap into that and, and become an even bigger force in the lineup from what he's already been at the plate. Uh, that. I'm not saying the future is definitely bright, but Byron Buxton would be a big part of a much brighter future for the Twins. And I believe you and I are on the record saying we have both been buying Byron Buxton we stock so all summer. We have so much Byron right? Buxton stock. I mean, this was the housing market tanking and, yes. this, and the economy tanking like six years ago, and you and I are in there yep. shoving more coal in the fire, yeah, baby. Yeah, we bought so many houses on foreclosure in 2012, and pretty soon, pretty soon, the market's going to come around, and we're going to be able to retire 